And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. This week it was reported that a a medic from Ukraine, a woman named Tara, had uh, captured some footage of her time serving at a military hospital in Ukraine, in Maripol, the city that's been under a siege um, from the Russians. And so she was at this military hospital and she was wearing a body uh, camera. And so she captured some of her experience there. It was quite heartbreaking to see and to read about. She had it on a thumbnail drive and she was able to give it to reporters just before she was captured by the Russians. And so, um, like I said, the images that she recorded, the victims and prisoners of war, were hard to see, hard to read about, but obviously captured the reality of what's happening there. One particular scene was very striking and heartbreaking. Um, There was a boy who had been brought in. His family had been uh, caught in a crossfire at a checkpoint. And I think he was probably, by the looks of him, 12, 13 years old. And he, he was gravely wounded. And the doctors were working on him. And Tara was saying to him, Uh, Stay with me, little one. But they weren't able to save this little boy. And so she turned away and she was crying. Obviously, she just turned away and said, I hate this. I hate this. She hated seeing the senseless death and the suffering and the sorrow. And there's something in us, of course, that wells up. When we see suffering and death, that says, this is not the way the world is supposed to be. This is not the way that God intended it to be. I hate this. The question is, is this all there is? That's the question people are asking today in a broken world. Where is their hope? When you see a war like this and when we go through pandemic and plague and when we face suffering on a global scale, a national scale, and in our individual lives, where is their hope? Is this all there is? Well, God says no. There, there is coming a day. God promises us in the last pages of the Bible, there's coming a day of new creation when he will make all things New. That's a promise that God has made to His people. And we see it in our passage from Revelation. Actually, if you look at your bulletin on page 10, we have two selections from the book of Revelation. This picture of new creation. And I'm going to really focus just on those first four verses from Revelation 21. Where the Lord promises through this vision that he gave to John of a new creation. Look at verse 1 of chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
and the sea was no more. The new heaven and the new earth, in one sense, is going to be discontinuous with what we experience now. It will be a new heaven or new sky and a new earth. And yet there's going to be a link between the new creation and the old creation. There will still be a heaven and there will still be an earth. There's still going to be a link between the new creation and the old creation. In fact, the glory of creation now points us to the eternal glory of God. The scripture says in Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. When we see something beautiful and glorious here, it is a preview of the perfect beauty and glory to come. There's a story of a little girl who was taking a walk with her father in the countryside in the evening, and she was looking up at the stars as they were walking along. And you have to go out into the country to see the stars as they're meant to be seen, right? We've all experienced that. And this little girl turned to her father as they were taking the walk and she looked up at the stars and said to her dad, if this is the wrong side of heaven and it's so beautiful, what might the right side look like? It's a picture. The heavens declare the glory of God, the beauty The majesty of creation we see now is a preview of perfect creation to come. So there is continuity between the old and the new creation. But what's emphasized here is the newness. The newness. In the new creation, there will not be anything infected by sin. There will not be corruption. It says the sea was no more. Now, in, in the Bible, the sea often represents chaos and destruction and, and death. I mean, we love the sea. We love to go visit the sea. The most um, expensive property in the world is by the ocean. We love to look out the sea. But, of course, we know that some of the greatest natural disasters in human history have been caused by typhoons and hurricanes. The sea, it can be a great threat and In the book of Revelation, the beast who opposes God comes from the sea. So the sea is a symbol in biblical times of chaos and destruction and death. But the sea will be no more. Chaos and destruction and death will not have a place in the new creation. That just won't exist there. But then John goes on to tell us what will exist there. Verse 2, I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In the book of Revelation, the bride stands for the church, the people of God. Christ is the husband. We are the bride. And this city has been prepared. The new Jerusalem, the new creation has been prepared for the people of God. And the people of God are prepared to meet God there. They're prepared for this wedding and the marriage supper of the Lamb, as Revelation talks about. A bride doesn't just stumble into her wedding, doesn't just come to her wedding dressed in a t-shirt and jeans to meet her husband. A bride prepares, a bride adorns herself. 
And so it is with those who will be in heaven to meet Christ. It's not a matter of stumbling there. It's a matter of being prepared. God has prepared a place for His people and His people are prepared to meet Him. And how are His people prepared to meet Him there? Well, Revelation 19, 7 and 8 says this, For the marriage of the Lamb has come, the Lamb that was slain, that is Christ who was slain for the sins of His people. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And then Revelation 19 tells us what the fine linen represents. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. They're prepared to meet God. They're prepared to meet Christ through faith in Christ, through repentance, and through a life of obedience. Not perfectly, of course. That's why we have the Lamb who was slain for us. But a life of obedience to God, righteous deeds that are evidence of a true faith in Christ. Friends, God has prepared a place for His people, His bride, and let's be ready to meet Him there by putting our faith in the Lamb who was slain for our sins. By being faithful to Him to the very end. That's a major emphasis we've seen here in Revelation. Faithfulness to God to the very end, even at the point of death. Let's be prepared to meet Him in this place He's prepared for us. But God not only has promised His people a new place, but even better than the place is who will be there. We will have a new experience of God Himself. A new experience of His presence. Verse 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. What a beautiful thought. What a wonderful thought that God desires to be with His people. That God, the Creator of all things and Sustainer of the universe, desires to be with me and with you. And He's created this place, this dwelling place, so that we might be with Him. Jesus, in our Gospel reading, says to His disciples, and they were in a place of fear and confusion. Jesus says to His fearful and confused disciples, I'm going away, but I will come to you. He says that my Father and I will make our home with you as you love me and my words dwell in your life. You allow my love and my words to take up residence in the very center of your being. Then Jesus says, we will dwell with you. This is something that God desires to be in relationship with us now and for eternity. And He's made a way for that to happen through Jesus' His Son, through the Lamb who was slain for us. Praise His name. And we have a God who is not distant from us, a God who does not stand at arm's length, a God who does not just wind up the world and watch it go and is not interactive in the world. No, He's a God who seeks to dwell with His people. He's dwelling with us now. He's here even now. His Spirit is with us. Jesus promised that the Spirit would be with His people in the Gospel reading. Jesus promised that He would give His people peace in the here and now. God is with us. 
but he promises that we are going to experience his presence in a much more profound way, in a new way in heaven. And so the revelation continues, the vision continues. Verse 22, and I saw no temple in this city, for the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. No need for a temple in the new Jerusalem. The temple in the old Jerusalem was, of course, the place where God's presence dwelt. And in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, was the place where the priest went to encounter the tangible, immediate presence of God. But that's not going to be necessary in the new Jerusalem. God will dwell with his people there. The new creation will be filled with God's immediate presence. The entire city is going to shimmer with the light of the glory of God. It's a beautiful vision. The Puritan writer John Owen said that sometimes in this life, God in his goodness to us, by his Holy Spirit, will give us a glimpse of the glory of Christ. As we take hold of the means of grace that God has given his people, how do we encounter God now? Through his word, through prayer, through corporate worship, by coming to the sacraments. In our love, in our care for one another, as an expression of the love of Christ, we encounter something of the glory of Christ in this life. But John Owen said it's like seeing Christ through a lattice. Lattice works or a screen. It's like he's passing through or by that. We get a, a glimpse, we get a glance, a glance rather, of the glory of Christ, but we don't see all of it. We see part of it. And, and, and we see something of the glory of God in Christ in a fleeting way. And I hope you've experienced that because that whets your appetite for more of the glory of God, to encounter more of His presence. That's what we're made for. But John Owen says, in this life, through the means of grace that God has given us, it's like seeing Christ through a screen. It's temporary and, and it vanishes. But in the new creation, it says that the saints will see the very face of God. You see that in Revelation 22.4. It says, they will see his face. And when you see the face of somebody, you're seeing them. You're encountering their presence. Of course, this was written in a time without digital technology and virtual reality. In biblical times, no Facebook. No FaceTime. When you're in the face of somebody... You're in their immediate presence. And the heaven of heaven, as one theologian said, the heaven of heaven, what makes heaven heaven is this. Revelation 22.4 The saints will see the face of God. We will be in the immediate presence of God. There's going to be a buffet of delights in heaven. Seeing loved ones who've gone before us is going to fill us with joy. I can't wait to see my family and friends that are already there. That will fill us with unspeakable joy. 
The beauty of heaven, and John goes on to describe it. It's Some of it's here, but you have to read Revelation 21 and 22 to get the idea of the beauty of heaven. Some people say, well, we don't know much about heaven. Well, if you sit with Revelation 21 and 22 and just ponder the imagery there, you're going to get a sense of what heaven's going to be like. And it's going to make you excited, I think. The beauty of heaven is going to be a continual source of wonder, I think. We're going to be walking around with our mouths open <laughs> in awe of the beauty of heaven. To see our loved ones there, to see the beauty. All that is going to be a source of continual delight. But the greatest joy of heaven according to Christian theology and Christian experience, is to be in the presence of God, to experience His presence in a new and profound way. They shall see His face. And, and to see the face of God, it's not a static experience. It's not passive. It's, it's dynamic. It's transformative. When Moses saw something of the glory of God, his face shone with the glory of God. The glory of God rubs off. Something tangible about this encounter with the immediate presence of God. It's like last summer, we went camping. And we went to this beautiful campground where there was a crystal clear stream. It was spring fed. And we had been traveling for several hours on a hot summer day. And so it was great to get out of the van. All of us kind of, it's when we unload in our van, it, it draws attention, you know, with all of our children coming out of the van and other things falling out of the van on this hot summer day. We finally get to our destination. And there's the river. And it's wonderful to go. It was wonderful to go down and just look at this beautiful river, crystal clear water, you know, the Water sparkling with the sunshine. And then there are places where there's this aqua blue water in the deep places. It was just refreshing to look at. But even better to, than looking at it was getting into it. Jumping into that river. And swimming and diving and splashing. That was experiencing that beauty in a tangible way. Another level of delight. And in a tiny way, I think perhaps that's something like the beatific vision in heaven. To see God's glory is going to be an experience, a tangible experience of the love and the beauty and the holiness and the goodness of God that we will not only see, but we will experience. And according to the Bible and the Christian tradition, that's the ultimate that's the ultimate goal of life, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And that's why, friends, no created thing in this life can give us complete and lasting happiness. Because that's where the ultimate happiness lies. And maybe that's part of the reason why so many of us are depressed and anxious oftentimes. And this is coming from somebody who struggled with anxiety, and panic attacks. That we try to seek, we try to make the, we try to turn temporary things into something eternal. We try to squeeze eternal joy 
infinite joy out of the finite. And that doesn't satisfy. We try to make heaven out of the things of earth. Now, the good things of creation are a preview of heaven to come, but they're not heaven. The Bible tells us to enjoy the good things of this world, but not to forget that our ultimate good lies in the future when we shall see the face of God. And God promises this to us, a new place, a new experience of His presence. And this means that the former things will be no more. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Wipe away. What a picture of God here, of God's love for us. It's a picture of a parent, right? Picking up their child who stumbled and fallen and scraped their knee or something even worse. And the mom or the dad picks them up and says, okay, I'm going to wipe this away. You're going to be okay. This is the picture here that we have of God, His love for His people. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It belongs to the old creation. And so now in this time, when Christians, when we see death and suffering, we weep with those who weep. Romans 12, 15. Weep with those who weep. Yet we know that this is not the final word. It's a cruel version of Christianity that says, if you're a good enough Christian, you can be protected from this kind of stuff. The mourning and the pain and the suffering. That's a cruel version of Christianity. That ignores the reality of the cross, of living in a fallen world. That we live in a, in a time, as Paul says in Revelation 8, that, that, that it's groaning. That all of creation is groaning because of the brokenness. And we groan too. The reality of the cross, the reality of suffering. We don't ignore that. We mourn over it. We weep with those who weep. We mourn over the suffering that we've experienced. We should mourn over the suffering that we've caused because of our sin. That should be part of our life of repentance. And by the Holy Spirit of God, He allows us to see that, yes, we have been, we've been hurt, but we've hurt other people. And that should be part of the brokenness that we experience in this life. Our sin. Our brokenness. We mourn over that. But that's not the last word. We, we can say, just like that medic in Ukraine, you know what, I... I hate this. I hate the injustice. I hate the suffering. I hate the brokenness. But it's not the end of the story. In J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, and I think I illustrated from the Lord of the Rings last week, so I'm on a Tolkien kick. This will be enough for a while. Okay. Promise. But there's at the end of the book, after the great battle, when the ring's been destroyed, the hobbit, Samwise Ganji, is is recuperating. He's been injured. He's recovering at a friend's house. The last thing he knew was, well, one of the last things is that his friend, this wizard Gandalf, had been killed, that he was dead. But then, as he's recovering, he hears Gandalf's voice calling to him. And Sam gasped, it says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? And the Christian gospel says, yeah, it is. 
John's revelation tells us that one day the fallen world, which makes us so sad so often, the fallen world will be the former world. And so we can live and work and suffer and die in hope. The God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, demonstrating his power over suffering and death, has promised us new creation. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you help us to do just that. To live in hope, to work in hope, to parent in hope, to preach in hope, to walk in hope, to witness to hope of this new creation. And give us, O oh God, a taste for, of your presence now by your grace that will whet our appetite for the glory to come. We thank you that you have sealed these promises to us by your Holy Spirit and through your word. And you have demonstrated once and for all through the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, that you have power over injustice and evil and death itself. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen.